Good morning, church family. We're going to be reading out of uh, John chapter 20 today, if you want to join me there. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Peter, or Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, <clears throat> and they were going, or, yeah, going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloths, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he had said these things to her. <clears throat> On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, they showed him his, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my fingers in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, and see my hands, and put your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We're just so thankful for your word, Lord. And and uh, as we bow in your presence, Lord, we just ask that you anoint us with the Holy Spirit, give us the wisdom to see, give us the eyes, give us the heart, Lord. We just ask that you bless Jackie as he brings forth your word, and as your truth is, is spoken here today, Lord, let it ring out in the world, and we give you all the praise in your precious name. Amen. All right, John chapter 20, take two. <clears throat> there are still some who think there's no way, but pretty sure we're going to get there today. As we look at John chapter 20, I want you to be able to feel 
what is happening there. We read these stories so often and they, eventually they become words on a page and we disconnect ourselves from the emotion of the event. So you gotta, you got to understand that you have a group of disciples who, who just three days earlier lost everything, every hope, every, everything that they thought was going to happen didn't happen. All their plans, all their ideas, all their theology went down the tube. They scatter, they're, they're spread all around the city in a variety of different places. And early on the morning, on that Sunday morning, the women all go down to the tomb. And as they get down to the tomb, they notice that a stone is rolled away. And Mary Magdalene turns around and runs back to find Peter and John. Because the disciples aren't gathered together in the upper room yet. They're scattered. They're staying apart. They're, they're distraught. And she runs and she says, They've someone moved the stone and the body's gone. Come and see. And so they, they run back to the tomb. We read that here in John chapter 20. And they get there and still they, they don't have total comprehension of what's going on. They know something has happened. They know something has happened. They have... They have some inkling of an idea of what's going on, but they definitely don't have it settled. And so those two, Peter and John, they come, they see, they look, they turn around and they went back to their homes. What do you, what do, you do three days after the worst day of your life? No matter what, what's happening, no matter what's going on, every, everything doesn't feel real yet. The disciples are divided. The, the earlier group of women, remember Mary ran back, that earlier group went in and they saw the angels and then they received tidings, right, that kind of freaked them out. According to Mark, they, they left, they weren't going to go tell anybody and then the Lord comes to them and commissions them to go to the disciples. So where are they going? They're starting to go around the city, finding the disciples, where they're at, telling them, yet the disciples aren't quite believing. They're not catching on. But you can feel the excitement of the day starting to build from before the sun comes up until the sun goes down. It's a long day. There's tidings coming. You have two disciples that go down to the road to Emmaus. They have their experience, right? And so... They come back, and each time the story is told about an interaction or, or something that happened, or I've seen the Lord, a little bit more hope starts to dawn in the lives of a bunch of guys who pretty much pitched all their hope out the window. It's over. He's dead. They killed him. That wasn't on our agenda. And now as that begins to build, if we look in... John, a John story. Now, Peter and John, they walk back to their homes, and Mary Magdalene, remember, she didn't, she couldn't run as fast as Peter and John. She didn't catch, she didn't get there the same time as them. She stood outside. She let the guys figure out what they were doing. They went in and saw what they saw. They left. She looked in, and now there's two angels in there. But Peter and John, they they didn't have an interaction with two angels. They just had an interaction with the facts that were laid out there. But she, Mary, looks in and she has a little bit different interaction. It says in verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So you don't disconnect yourself from the emotion of what's going on. Don't disconnect yourself from the pain of the reality of what happens the, the days after the worst day ever. And we have in our lives, yours and mine, we have experienced days like that. So there, there ought to be a way for us to ground that. Here she's weeping and she, she looks into the tomb and she's, all the other women are gone. Everybody's gone. Peter and John are gone. She looks in, says she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they asked her a question. Woman, why are you weeping? And if we ask ourselves that, that question, we, we usually it, it revolves around something didn't happen that was supposed to happen or something happened that wasn't supposed to happen. And, 
and we're we're just dis, uh, we're just distraught over the fact that that life hasn't worked out like we thought. That the healing didn't come that we prayed for, or the or, or this horrific event we're having to endure, and where is God in all this? And what's happening? And while she's feeling this, I just want you to know, while she's feeling all of these things, he's right there. He's not gone. The people asking her these questions are angels, but she doesn't know. She supposes them to just be workers there around the tomb. She doesn't, she doesn't see, every time you see an angel, it's not the big, glowing, winged creature. Right? Hebrews says, be careful to entertain strangers for what? Some of you have done what? Entertain angels how? Unaware. Yeah, unaware. You didn't know. She didn't know. She asked them. They've taken away the Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned and she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Well, she's not thinking about seeing Jesus. And people ask the question, does Jesus look different? I don't know. I, I, I hope my resurrected body doesn't look like this. <clears throat> I, hope, I hope it's better. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Does he look different? I don't know. I, she's weeping and crying. She's not expecting to see him. She's, she's totally distraught, absolutely um, laid waste. Her emotion has, has her ragged to the to the extreme, right? And then <clears throat> Jesus asked her the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? Because if we know the truth of God's word, we know the promise of God, then we may mourn, but our mourning will always be turned to joy. Because there's hope. It's, this is the greatest day ever. They just don't know it yet. And we don't always know it. We don't always recognize it. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And so she said, supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him. I'll go get him. She's still looking for a crucified Christ. She's not looking for a resurrected Lord. It's amazing how often we don't, we don't find the things we're not looking for. And so Jesus said to her, Mary, and everything changed. There's a song we used to sing a hundred years ago called he knows my name, and one of the ideas, one of one of the reasons why that song was was um, important to me was that comprehension that he knows me. God knows my name. He just, I'm not just a a mass like there's a mass, the body, a church of of thousands and thousands and millions of faces that are just corporate, you know. And God knows the corporate entity, but no, He knows my name. He knows me. And when Jesus said Mary's name, she snaps right too, right? Right, it's the same voice. His voice didn't change. Same voice is saying to him, but now it's saying something she's heard from his lips before, right? Mary. And she turned and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Mary, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Listen, Mary grabs a hold of Jesus, and she has lost him, and she does not ever want to lose him again. And she's not ever going to let go. When Jesus says to her, Mary, don't cling to me, it's because Jesus wants her to understand, I'm ascending to the Father, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here. Right? Daniel tells us that 
when the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days. I've, I've shared with you before. This is, in my view, what occurs at the Ascension. Jesus Christ arises before the Ancient of Days. God the Father, he says, sit here at, on my throne until I make your enemies your footstool, the waiting for the kingdom of Christ to be established. And so Jesus is saying, I'm ascending to my Father. I'm, I'm not going to be here the relationship we're going to have is going to shift. It's going to change. Mary, don't cling to this physical part. This is, this is going away. This is going to go to my father. And there's a difference in a relationship. Folks, there's a difference in a relationship between Jesus and his father and you and I and his father. Because Jesus said, I'm going to my father and your father. It indicates distinction in relationship. There's a difference in the relationship within the triune God between father and son than there is for me, an adopted son or child of God. Yeah, he's, he's my father also, but it's not the same way that he's Jesus' father. I am, I am going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. There's distinction laid out in the relationship. And so <clears throat> Jesus gives her, he gives her a commission. Go and tell my disciples this. Go. And the first witnesses that Jesus utilizes at the, at the resurrection are women, which would not have stood up in a court anywhere. In the day, a woman's testimony was not it didn't matter. It didn't hold weight. It wasn't as weighty. But God chose women. You're going to be the first witnesses to go tell men who won't listen. That's not new, ladies, is it? That's nothing new. My wife has been giving me incredible, great advice for 40-some years. And the one consistent Part is, I don't listen. <laughs> but then stop her from trying. So they go, and they're going to bear witness. They're going to be those witnesses that are going to say, I've seen the Lord. Something's going on. He's risen. That message has gone out through the disciples. Now, the disciples are starting to come together. They did not call one another on their cell phone and say, hey, where are you at? Hey, did you hear about so-and-so and such-and-such -and, -such and what they said? No, as the word trickles in by disciple, by disciple, some disciples are together, some disciples are apart, they start to gravitate toward one another. They start to gather. Hey, did you hear? Yeah, I heard that too, but I don't know. Could it be, do you think? Now, we've seen earlier that the scripture tells us they did not yet understand. They did not yet understand the word. They did not yet understand what was going on. And so... This started, please understand, this started before the sun came up. So this is happening all day long. All day long, the women are going about sharing what they believe to be the good news. Men are beginning to hear it and gather. Look what it says in verse 19 of John 20. On the evening of that day. On the evening of that day. So now... The whole day is burnt. The disciples have gathered together. Luke chapter 24 tells us that Cleopas is there. And so the people that went, were on the road to Emmaus, they're up there. The upper room now where the disciples are gathered is not just the 12. It is all those people who were dedicated to following Christ. It's a large group that has gathered here on the evening of that first day, the day of the week. And the door's locked because they're freaking out. Because they just killed their leader. You turn on the news today and we might think how far we are removed from that. I watched last night a pastor be arrested in Canada. Handcuffed. Feet were cuffed. And carried and laid into a car. A pastor. You know what his crime was? 
he had a church gathering where more than 10 people came. He's one of three in Canada that either were arrested or have been arrested in the past. And we look at that and we say, well, that's Canada. Yeah, they're long ways from us. A few years ago, it became illegal to speak, to teach certain things out of the Bible in Canada. Because that's hate speech. Those days are here now. If you think the days when they will drag a faithful minister for gathering with more than 10 people. This is the same place where if 150 people are at Home Depot trying to buy a piece of plywood that is $80 a sheet now, and they're all arguing over who, I'll, you want 80, I'll give you 85. No, I'll do 90. You know, nobody's doing anything about that because nobody cares about that. If you think this is not spiritual, you're missing the boat. And the animosity toward Christians is not going to diminish. It's going to increase. And you will be the enemy. And churches will begin to empty. Well, that, that's happening already. There are, there's one church for sale in Buell. Empty building. How many others close to that? The animosity toward the truth of the gospel. The disciples locked the doors. They were afraid. Jesus was dead. I know the women said he was alive, but the people who killed him could come at any time. So the doors are locked. And it's the evening of that day that the, the things have been growing. And maybe there's a little bit of excitement taking place. And so they've gathered together. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus had promised them. You remember, it's only been four days. So you go back to the evening before he was crucified. You know, Jesus told them on their long walk from the upper room, that place where probably they're gathered now, to the place of, uh, where the prayer and the arrest would take place at Gatshmone, at Gethsemane, as Jesus is, is making that journey, he told them about giving them peace. You remember? You're going to need peace. Because in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the very first thing Jesus does when he comes before them is he gives them peace. We have an opportunity in our walk with Christ to walk in a state of peace with God or fear. Now being in a state of peace with God does not mean life is easy. It does not mean that there's always food on the shelves or all your bills are paid or everything's always going to work out or the check's always going to show up in the mail right before you need to pay it. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means I am in a state of trusting the Lord no matter what comes. Or I can stand in a place of fear. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare. Fear is a trap. It's a trap that, that takes us and, and rips away our peace and rips away our hope so that we're left in a place of fear. Just I'm just afraid. I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go. So we get to be in that state or we can be in a state of peace. And the only distinction between the two is a choice we make to trust God or not. Trust him what if it goes bad well if you're a pessimist like me 
you can just say it probably will. I don't care. I'm going to trust him. Whatever comes, I'm going to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Isn't that what Proverbs challenges us with? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean a little bit into your understanding. Oh, that's not what it says. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In some of your ways, no, in all of your ways acknowledge him, and what will he do? He'll make your path straight. You want to know what we're supposed to do in these days? What are these days about? How am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to behave? Then I have to learn to understand i got to stand in the peace of God. And if I'm not in the peace of God, if I find myself in fear, overwhelmed by fear, overwhelmed by these circumstances in my life, then I have to go before the Lord and ask him, God, help me trust you. Help me. Will the Lord help you? For sure he will. Does it mean that he's going to deliver me? Does it mean I don't have to get arrested? Does it mean I don't get carried? It was the craziest thing you ever saw. Looks like they're in the middle of the freeway, like the middle lane. They pull him over. He, of course, is not helping them, so he just kneels. He didn't fight. He just knelt. They chain him up. And carried him away. Meanwhile, if you're in jail and there's a chance you might get COVID, we should turn you loose. Oh, and by the way, if you've been burning down buildings as a, as a mode of protest, you know, it's okay. The world is upside down. It's upside down. And now... How are we going to put that right? Guys, honestly, this is the whole purpose of the, of the men's retreat for me. The, it's the long game. How do we put that right again? And it's about men doing what we have abrogated, accepting our responsibilities, being the men God's called us to be. And so we, we come before this. We, he, first thing Jesus does, peace. He's speaking assurance to them. Peace is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. No matter what happens in this world, if, you're, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, it's going to be okay. The worst thing anybody can do to you according to this place in this, in this world is take your life. And all that is is the doorway to Christ. So that the worst they can do is give you the best day of your life. That's the worst they can do. That's why the Bible says, death, where's your sting? Where's my fear? The fear of death is gone. Why is the fear of death gone? Because Jesus defeated the grave. So we come to this and we say, his peace, he's giving us assurance. Look what he does. And then he showed him his hands and his side. It's me. But what's he showing him? He's showing him, look, the worst day ever is the best day. Look, the worst thing they could do, the worst thing that could be accomplished is over, and it has no power. These wounds in my hand, it's not stopping me. This wound in my side, it's not, it's not halting me. The, the functioning of, of the purpose and the plans of God has not been put down be assured God knows what he's doing. And then he says it again. Peace. Because we're going to need to hear it more than once. Peace with you. And then he gave the mission. As the Father sent me, I send you. Oh, I could probably honestly do the next 30 minutes just on that, but I'm not going to. We'll never get through the Gospel of John. As the Father sent me. How did the Father send the Son? Where did the Father send the Son to? What did Jesus come to do? He did not come to do miracles, though he did miracles. He did not come to heal, though he healed. He did not come to give sight to the blind, though that he did that. What did he come to do? In Acts chapter 2, it says that the, the, the plans and purposes of God was the cross. As the Father sends me, I 
send you. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that we are sent out as sheep among wolves. You guys know. I'm sent out as sheep among wolves. What does that mean? That means that the place we're going is hostile toward the message. Yes? You know, Paul, one time he walked into a city to to preach the gospel, and the and the people were like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, if we... If we like you, we don't like you, and God enabled Paul to, to heal. And so he, he did some healing there in the town, and the next thing you know, the people are all proclaiming him to be God. And then Paul's like, whoa, 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 guys, you got the wrong message. I'm not God. Let me tell you about who God is. And then the people get upset and stone him. And they leave him outside the city for dead. So stoning, you guys get what that is, right? It doesn't mean somebody threw a rock at him. It means the same people that proclaimed him earlier to be divine, that the, the mob, the madness of mobs, anybody recognize the madness of mobs recently in our world the last year? Yeah, the mobs. Mobs flip, this mob flips, it stones him, leaves him under a pile of rocks in the middle of the road, outside the city, probably next to the quarry that they used to build the city, and they all went back into the town. The scripture tells us that Paul gets up. And he did what? He turns around and goes back in the city and keeps preaching. You know who was in that city? There was a kid in that city. You know what his name was? Timothy. Timothy. You heard of him, right? Paul goes back in there and he starts preaching again and and, and Timothy, this is Timothy's town. This is where Timothy was growing up. And Timothy's going to become Paul's right hand. Because there's going to be tension between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's going to be animosity between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And there is never peace between those two. So please do yourself a favor and stop trying to make everybody happy by watering stuff down. That won't ever work. It doesn't accomplish anything. Stand on the truth of what God's word says and either they will be convicted like the men were in Acts chapter 2 when they heard you crucified the Lord. Oh, what have we done? What should we do now? Repent and and be baptized. That's what the scripture laid out, right? And so... God in his spirit moved and souls were saved. What he didn't do is say, I know you didn't mean it. I know it was a rough day. You know, you probably made bad decisions before. That's not what he said. You crucified Christ. It's part of God's plan, but you did it. So we, we can't soften the message. Softening the message is not helping anybody. It's creating confusion. It's creating people that don't comprehend what's going on. Jesus is saying, look, I'm sending you out, just like my father sent me. But he's going to give them what is necessary. We read it in John 20, verse 22. And after he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the disciples gathered together in the upper room, become born again. This is their moment. This is a fulfillment of promise that John talked about already. We see this phrase, come on, this is not, when, when a writer writes something, he writes it for a reason. Why does he say he breathed on them? He could have said a hundred different ways. Why does he say it? Because it's exactly what the Lord did in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became what? He became a living being. He becomes physically alive. And now Jesus breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So they become spiritually alive. There's another word for that. John chapter 3, what did Jesus say? You must be born again. This is their moment. This is the moment the Holy Spirit 
is going to change positions. Until this time, the Holy Spirit has been beside them. Now the Holy Spirit is going to be in them. There's one more position we're going to see in their lives. But in this one, and I just want you to see it. In John 14, as they're walking over to the Garden of Gethsemane prior to the crucifixion, John chapter 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? For he dwells with you. Para is the Greek preposition. He is alongside. He is with you. And he will be in you. As we, as we look at what's laid out, he's saying, look, I want you to know, in the present, the Holy Spirit is with you and he is continuing with you. He's going to walk with you all the way until the day when that future certainty comes to pass. And he will be in you. And that happened when Jesus stood before them, told them peace, said, I have a mission for you, a purpose for you, a plan for your lives moving forward. And then he puts the spirit in them. The spirit that was alongside is going to be inside. Now Jesus is going to, we, we, I, won't, I won't get derailed, Jesus is going to give them one more thing they need to do, right? Jesus is going to walk with them roughly around 40 days. Off and on, he's going to appear and, and then not be there, and then he'll be there and not be there. He's preparing them for the ascension. Then he's going to ascend. And, and when he ascends, he's going to tell them in Acts 1.8 to remain until... Verse 8, Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has, what's the phrase? Come upon you. Well, the Holy Spirit's already in them. Yeah, I, I know. There are three Greek prepositions in this, para, alongside, and inside, and epi. Epi means, well, the best way to understand it would be if I had here a table in a pitcher, empty pitcher, and beside that pitcher I had water, another pitcher with water in it. That is a picture of para, empty vessel with water of the Holy Spirit beside it. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. The best picture of N is to take the pitcher with water and now pour it into the other pitcher. Now the Holy Spirit is in. The best way to illustrate epi is to now take a source of living water for you or I, let's use a hose. And we put the hose in the pitcher that has water in it and we turn it on. Where does the water go? It fills up the pitcher and does what? Comes out, overflows, and now it's on the table and everything around it's getting wet. That's the day of Pentecost. That was the outpouring of the Spirit on the birth of the church. So he declares, he gives this declaration prior to their mission. You're going to go. I'm going to send you out, right? You got a job. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. You got a job. You're going to go do a job. Before you do the job, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And then I'm going to tell you, before you do the job, stay until you have dunamis, until you have dynamite, until you have power. Now, we, this is where we get this all wrong, guys. So just stop with the, oh, we'll have power to heal. We'll have power to let the blind see. We'll have power to raise the dead. No, most of the time when we're thinking like that, we're thinking about ourselves and a big billboard with our face on it. <laughs> when we're thinking about the power of God, that's the power to be the witness God wants me to be. And that power 
is the Holy Spirit flowing through me. You guys have all felt this before. Look, I don't care what we call it. We can have theological disagreements and arguments about it as long as you want to. I don't care what you call it. You know what it feels like. You know there have been times in your life when you've been so close to God that you had the scripture ready. It was like on the tip of your tongue to share with somebody. Or you were always right there. You were quick for prayer. You were quick. And these things, you just felt like you were in the flow, right, of what, was, what it was to be a believer walking with Christ. And you know what it feels like when that's not happening. And usually our answer is we go to some events. We're going to go to an event. We, let's say a men's retreat. We go to a men's retreat and we get all excited. We get pumped with the word. And, and we, it's like taking a magnet and rubbing it onto a, a paper clip. And now that paper clip's a magnet. And you got that paper clip and it's, and it's doing all the things we're talking about. It's quick with a word. It's quick with prayer. The ability to be a witness. We see that flowing through the life of the one. But eventually the magnet runs out of juice. And most of us live our life just going back and forth to the magnet, rubbing up against the magnet again, getting energized, and then trying to live our life that way. That's not the dunamis. The dunamis is a constant flow that is living. The Holy Spirit does not run out of juice. He don't. Jackie moves. Jackie shuts his ears. Jackie closes his eyes. Jackie gets overwhelmed by sadness or depression or whatever things happen. And the flow stops. And then I have to confess and get my act together and get myself back where I need to be. Lord, I need your spirit. How, how, does, that, how does that occur? Is there like a, a right we have to do? No. What does the Bible say? You want to have that. You want the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you as evil, wicked fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. Right? How much more, how much better will your father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks ask acts chapter 4 my favorite chapter in the book of acts acts chapter 4 all the all the hoopla's over they, they 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 had the big tongues thing on acts chapter 2 that all these people get saved and then all the bad guys show up and beat them up for it right they take a beating for jesus and they're starting to feel the, the anger of the, of the world against the message that they have. And they gather together and they say, let's pray. You remember what they prayed for in Acts 4? Let's pray for boldness. They didn't say, let's pray for an incredible outpouring of miraculous power. They said, let's pray to be bold. Let's, let's, let's pray to be able to stand in the face of adversity. And you know what the Bible says? That when they, when they prayed, when they called out to God and they said, Lord, fill us with boldness, that the room shook. And they were filled with boldness to be who God's asking them to be. A couple of weeks ago, Phil shared a message about we need power. Yeah, we need power. That's the power we need. That's the power. We need that constant flow of the Spirit equipping us to be his witnesses. The Lord said, stay here until you have dunamis, and you will be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Prior to this time, maybe they were thinking, we want political power. Or maybe prior to this time, they were thinking they want some other kind of power. But that's not the power that the Lord's promising them. He says, I'm going to give you power so your message will be effective when you take that message to a world that hates you. That's the power that I'm talking about. That's the power that we need. Nothing is going to ever put my face on the front of anything. It's the kind of power that puts the face of Jesus up. Not nobody else's. I can't, I can't stomach it. The Holy Spirit does not, comes and shines a light on Christ. That's what he does. 
Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will do what? I'll draw all men to myself. If I am lifted up, what does the Holy Spirit do? It's going to lift him up. Jesus is talking about the cross. Yeah, he went to the cross. He was lifted up. And that's the, that's the place to which all men are drawn, right? Man, we need that power, the Holy Spirit equipping us to be who he wants us to be. But look at the next phrase in verse 23. And if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. <clears throat> and if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Oh, hallelujah. That's just what we need is that kind of power, right? But the church is able to make the proclamation. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you reject the gospel, forgiveness is withheld. And if you receive the gospel, forgiveness is given. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. There's only, there's only one place where men will turn. And as that gospel is proclaimed, and that is the role of the church, right? That is the role of the disciples, that's what they're going to proclaim. Are they able to declare your sins are forgiven you? For sure. On what basis? Because they've come to Christ. And if you've come to Christ, your sins are forgiven you. And if you have rejected him, your sins are not. Jesus, the scripture declares, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. That's how much authority? It's all of it, right? All authority, Jesus Christ is laying it out and he's saying, look, you have the ability to make the proclamation. So you have this incredible meeting, you have this incredible gift of, of empowerment, this preparation of a mission, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the giving of authority from God for proclaiming the gospel to those who will be uh, forgiven, uh, those who will be saved, but there's somebody missing it all, right? What do we call him? Static Thomas, you guys remember Thomas. This is why you don't miss retreat. <laughs> if you miss retreat, you are doubting Thomas. You're going to miss what's happening. And then the guys are going to come back and say, man, you won't believe what happened. And they're going to try to tell you. And you're not going to say, you're going to say, that don't sound all that great. That's because you weren't there. <laughs> Thankfully, usually, Jesus still shows up. Isn't that what he does for Thomas? Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Where was he at? Remember, I told you it was a bad day. You remember? It was a bad day. You ever have a bad day and say, I ain't going? I'm not getting together. I'm not, I'm not spending any more time with all those yahoos. I walked around with those guys for three years, and what did it get me? He's like, yeah, that's it. Oh, that's good. I'm done. I'm staying home. There's a game on. I'm going to watch a game. There's a fight. I want to see that fight. <clears throat> I'm going to tune in. I'm going to be a part of this. Thomas doesn't go, but he, see, he still hangs out with the disciples, so the other disciples told them, you couldn't keep those guys quiet now. Their gums are flapping. And they come running over to Thomas. Thomas, you're not going to believe it. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, what are you talking about? No, Thomas, really, you can believe us. <coughs> We're eyewitnesses. We saw the Lord. You guys all know what Thomas says. Look, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later. That gets us back to another Sunday. We're at another Sunday. We find ourselves gathered together in the upper room yet again, eight days Later, the disciples inside again. And this time, Thomas is with him. And the doors are locked again. And you ask yourself, why? Why are the doors locked? Jesus already came and gave them peace. Jesus already breathed upon them, received the Holy Spirit. He already gave them a commission. Why they got the doors locked? Why are the doors locked? Because we are creatures 
who say, look, we want Jesus to come back and see us again. What did we do that first time? Wait, wait, wait. Somebody locked the doors. Those, those were locked. Get the doors locked. You can't prove it ain't so. Get the doors. Somebody get the doors locked. Wait a minute. Wait, what, what, what song was on? Where we were, there was a song playing. Put that song. It's always got to be that song. It can't ever be a different song because that's the song that was playing when Jesus came last time. So, so they get it all dialed in, right? The doors are locked. Everything's set. And Jesus came and stood among them, and he said again, Peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas. Now you know, Thomas doesn't do anything now but weep. He's not going to do nothing but weep. Listen, he says, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, put it in my side. Then he broke his heart. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas is like, oh, I don't need any of that. I don't, he didn't touch him. He didn't stick his hand out. Neither would you. Jesus stood before you. He drops on his knees and he makes a proclamation. My Lord and my God. That's all he does. And what do we know from this? This is what we know. Listen, he knows him. Jesus heard every word he said. Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The Lord poured out power in the lives of the disciples to be witnesses, eyewitnesses that would give to us the account that we have laid before us today as we study the scriptures. This account that we look at and say this is not idle fables or stories. These men were eyewitnesses. They saw Christ. They saw what occurred these are the men we've come together, we see, we recognize, we know, and the Lord gives us an exhortation. Blessed are those who believe. And then John gives us this admonition. This is the story. John's going to tell us one more story about Peter, right? That's next, next time. One more story about Peter. But John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So John says, I didn't write everything down. I'm just telling you the things I thought was important for you to understand. John had a story to tell, right? He, he's pointing out the purpose. But these are written. These things I've told you. This is why. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means he's the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Mashiach Nagid, the Son of God. Not only is he the Messiah, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the title, Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. For it's the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. That's it. <clears throat> we look. Today, we look around at our, at our crazy world, the world we've helped make. I've been living in it for 56 years. <clears throat> so it's got my fingerprints on it too. And the Lord is challenging us to know, I've given you everything you need to be effective to change the direction the things are going for you, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, whomever. I've given you everything you need. Do this. Stand in my peace. 
recognize that I have sent you. The disciples are sent out as martus, as eyewitnesses. They become martyrs. We're called living sacrifices, which I think is pretty close. But Jesus has a commission for us, right? Go, therefore. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. Into all the world, every nation. And do what? And make disciples. Make disciples. I've given you the peace you need to stand, the tool you need to use. That's the word of God. Jesus said, how do we make disciples? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them the things Jesus commanded you. That's how you make disciples. And understand this. I'm with you even until the end of the age. That's how we put the pieces back together. That's our commission. The job that we're to take. Same tools. That is our job. So, go therefore. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we have that we can gather, that we can hear your word, that we can recognize, Lord Jesus, your, your power moving in this place. God, I just, uh, I just know, Lord, that we, we find ourselves standing on the precipice of wild days ahead. And I hate to quit. I hate to stop. I hate to surrender. I hate to crawl back into a hole somewhere and say, Lord, save me. I want to engage. I want to engage a lost and dying world with the truth, even though they don't want to hear it. I want to stand in your peace, Lord God, and be a faithful steward of the grace that you have given me. I want to be a faithful steward of the word that you have instructed me with. I want to be a faithful steward of the power that you have promised. I want to take all the things, God, that your word declares that you have given me and then I want to do what you call me to do. So, to go forward and so, follow the example of my Savior and, and so, so the seed of your word I want to sow that seed in my children because, Lord, that is my job. It's my purpose. I want to sow that seed in my grandchildren because that is my purpose. I want to sow that seed in, in friends and neighbors, whosoever the Lord my God will call. My job, so there will be a day when Grandpa won't be there to stand beside his son or his grandson anymore. May I have laid a strong enough foundation that they will stand in the power that Jesus Christ gives not something I give I just bear witness to it it is his provision it is what he has given us there will be a day when grandpa will be gone and I, I won't 
have that voice to say in their ear, have I, have I spoke that enough? We live in a world where people run around and they ask the question, I don't know what my purpose is. But God's word declares to us the chief purpose of men is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God, I just pray that we would arise, that we would stand, that we would go, that we follow the example of the men who have gone before us since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we lay aside the weight that so easily ensnares us and cast aside the things that are slowing us down and run the race before us with endurance. Asking for no quarter. Just keep moving forward until I see my king that day I will hear well done good and faithful servant God I pray that this is our heart our desire may you go before us this day in the power of your spirit in the truth of your word glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray.